I know Ant-Man and the Wasp are really, really small. But trust me when I say, just like my co-host, Ryan J. Marvel, they've got an enormous heart that cannot be contained. Welcome to Infinity Rewatch. I'm Andrew Fantasia. What's up, everybody? I'm Ron J. Whitehead, and today we're diving into the quantum realm. What's the what's the Wayne's World thing they do? Whoa! <laughs> Extreme close up. <laughs> I almost did a spit take right there, but it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to happen. Wayne's World crossover with the MCU. Garth, I think that guy just snapped his fingers. Schwing. Whoa. I think I'm going to hurl. <laughs> it's sucking my will to live. <laughs> That'll be phase nine. That's yeah. when that's happening. Wow. So, Ryan, speaking of a phase, um, first of all, how are you? Before we dive into, into Marvel here. How are you? I, I am... I am good. Emotionally, I'm in a good place. Uh, you know, just a lot, a lot, a life, a lot of adulting going on. You know, got to deal with girls, insurance policies, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, making sure the hydro's all settled and stuff like that. So, uh-huh. uh, fans, I am being a real adult lately, and it's it's been quite the learning experience for sure. I know adulting is such a bummer, and it really is. <laughs> Wouldn't the world just be a better place if instead of insurance policies and credit scores, you know, everyone everywhere just talked about like the Sinister Six all day, right? I mean, it would be great. You know, actually, I watched a great review recently uh, uh, from a channel called Nerdstalgic. And Nerdstalgic, they did a wonderful um, video called What Went Wrong with Kingdom of Crystal Skull. And it, it and it one little excerpt I gotta take from it, uh, paraphrasing of course, is that um, is that how do I phrase this? Is that there is a sense of stability and comfort in franchises, and when a franchise is done well, and you know the next good one is coming out, then there's there's that there's that feeling of yeah, there's that feeling of comfort. And, and it, it really provides a level of good entertainment stability, uh, knowing that, you know, your plucky hero is going to go in and do something awesome and it's going to be great. And, uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's why I do kind of wish the world was all about, like, talking about Sinister Six, Six and stuff, because that's where stability and comfort comes from. It's stability and comfort, and it's also joy and magic, and it's what we were here what we were put on this earth to do is to spread yeah. love, spread magic, and tell stories, not make credit scores to keep the poor poor and the rich rich. Uh, exactly. Boo. Also, boo. I never understood. You talked about getting, making sure your hydro was was in proper order. I don't, I, to this day, I, I could live to be like 200 years old, Ryan. I will always, in my mind, confuse hydro for water because that's what hydro is but no (laughs) hydro is electricity so yes (laughs) to bring it all full circle to the sinister six the villain electro should have been hydro man i guess that name was already taken it's you know i don't get it whoever see that's why creative people should name things because i guarantee you the person who named hydro what it was it's probably just some stuffy you know pencil neck guy who's like credit scores so his name his name is John. <laughs> John, yeah. No surname. John, no surname. I, I am John from accounts receivable. That is all you need to know. 
Ah, well, yeah. thankfully, uh, there are no guys named John from accounts receivable. Yeah. Well, and importantly, how are you doing? I know I keep seeing all this talk about books coming out or you got buns in the oven. Is that what the, the phrase? <laughs> I do have buns in the oven. I actually, <laughs> damn it, I moved them to, to my bedroom. Otherwise, I would show you here. But I uh, everything is pretty much almost live and ready to go uh, by Friday, this coming Friday, which is, let's see, 24th of February. I think that my math is right. Uh, 2023. You will see um, my books go live. My fantasy books uh, that I've been working on for ages. The series is called We Were Wizards. And the first two books are going live this Friday, the 24th of February. And Dude, it's it's uh, it's quite a feeling. Let me tell you, I feel like yeah. a proud papa. Um, and they are, I I've scanned them all through. They are free of any typos and concerns we might have. So everything's ready to rock and roll. And I can't wait for my babies to go out into the world and flourish. Uh, that is really exciting. I I'm. It's really, it's really amazing to see you uh, be able to, you know, commit and get the stuff done and be able to do that. You're the first and only author I know personally. So, yeah. oh, thanks, brother. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully you being a fan too, because I know you'll dig, you'll dig these books. Well, I'm gonna buy the first edition. Yeah. Buy my first edition. I'm gonna get them. I'm gonna get them autographed like I did the last one, and I'm very excited. Just a word of warning, my autograph will diminish the value of the book. So if, if you want, I'll put like a post-it note with my autograph. So when eBay day comes along, you can just, you know, you'll, you'll be good. Uh, looks like we got a comment from somebody watching, somebody oh. named Sean Franklin. Hi, Sean Franklin. Sean wants to know, and I'm going to let you feel this one, Ryan. Do you like Transformers? That's what Sean is asking. Sean, oh my just God. wait and hear what this gentleman has to say about Transformers. <laughs> I love Transformers. I've loved them since Generation 1 back in the 1980s. It was the best time to be alive. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, and I love them through Beast Wars. Beast Machines kind of fell off the... Got a little too existential for my taste. And I like existential things, but it got a little too existential for my taste. And then there were many iterations. I love Transformers Armada. Uh, I have not seen... the. Sh I've seen bits and pieces of the show on Netflix, and I heard amazing things about it. But yeah, overall, I do love Transformers. The live action movies, I'll give the first one a slight pass only because it was the first of its kind in a awkward time to kind of push that kind of content. Um, and so I was very happy for it uh, in, in terms of when it came out. I saw it with uh, my best friend here and we had a great time. Um, and so for me, what brought back a sign of hope was uh, was the Bumblebee movie after after being convinced to watch it, uh, and it was it was actually really entertaining. It was really good. Um, although Starscream did not last as long as I think he would in that movie, but that's not here here and there. Am I excited about this Beast Wars movie uh, that's coming out? Yes, I am. But it comes with a cautious optimism, is what I will describe it as. But uh, I'll leave it at that. I mean, I got I got pretty elaborate there, but. Uh, my favorite Transformers are as follows. Optimus Prime, Jazz, and Soundwave. Uh, those are my top three. Uh, and um, in the Beast Wars, I uh, love Primal, Optimus Primal. He was amazing. And I also loved Rat Trap because he was hilarious. And he was, <laughs> but but when when it came down to, you know, you know, um, 
when it came down to being being who he needed to be, he he laid it down. He laid it down. He was a tough cookie that one. Uh, and my favorite, uh, yeah, or yeah, those are my favorites. Fantasia, do you nice. love Transformers? Or you know, sorry, I, do you like Transformers? I like you, them. Uh, I, I didn't grow up with them the way you did. Uh, my first sort of exposure to them was the Michael Bay movie, unfortunately, and I know that probably is a sacrilege to say. Um, I, Wait, are you telling me you've never seen Beast Wars? No, oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Beast Wars. Oh. I can't believe I'm forgetting that. Yeah, I oh. saw I saw Beast Wars as a kid. Um, I don't know the difference between Beast Wars and Beast Machines. Um, I always thought they were one and the same. I guess not. But uh, yeah, I, I had like a VHS tape of Beast Wars that I got for my 10th birthday that had like five episodes on it. And my favorite character in all Transformers to this day because of that is my boy Rhinox. Uh, I love me some Rhino. The Rhino is my favorite animal, so Rhinox just you know was a was a given. I also really liked the design on Megatron in Beast Wars with like all the purple and black. He looked really cool. Um, I saw the first movie with you, like you said. And let me tell you something, Sean, and everybody else listening. If you ever want to be entertained, go see a Transformers movie when Ryan J. Marvel is in the movie theater because it was literally just I, I, visually is the only way I can do this. So sorry, people who are only listening, but just literally just you reacting, woo, snapping your fingers at the screen, <laughs> clapping away every time, you know, an Autobot rolled out. So it was, I mean, we had that old man who sat behind you and, and when the movie ended, he tapped you on the shoulder and said, young man, you were the most entertaining part of this whole film for me. So you made that man's day, right? I'm I sure did. that guy did, did not enjoy seeing Michael Bay explosions, but you saved the day for him. He's never going to forget that. He, um, he probably still tells the story to oh, his <laughs> grandkids. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he was a dad at that point, and now he's like a super granddad. But like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I made I made that movie for him, and he'll forever tell that story. He's like, you know, this Transformers movie is coming out. When I first saw it, there was a guy in that theater. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he's still talking about it. Every time a yeah. new one comes out, he's like, gather around, children. <laughs> you hear about the legacy of the man from 2007. Um, Let me regale you with the tale. <laughs> that first movie holds a little place in my heart because it reminds me of that time and place when, like, it was around the time I met you and you kind of o- opened me back into that world of, like, the old stuff. Because remember, that was a time when YouTube was not what it was. Netflix didn't exist. So looking back at old nostalgic things was still a very hard thing to do. So mm-hmm. I I only got to start doing that through conversations with you. And you were like, oh my God, remember Beast Wars? And then when the Transformers movie came out, we got to kind of share that experience and be like, whoa, that's right, it's, it's all coming back. So the first movie will forever remind me of that. It has a special place in my heart. For some reason, I own movies one, two, three, and four because I thought they were going somewhere. Right, I just thought it was all going somewhere. So I was trying to follow along and then eventually I was like, okay, this is not going anywhere and I can't handle any more Michael Bay. Uh, but I love Bumblebee and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the Rise of the Beasts. Uh, well, welcome aboard, Sean. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, welcome aboard, Sean. And speaking of going places, we're going to Quantum Realm. Going That's to Quantum right. Realm. So this Quantum is the first... Media. And like, it's crazy. It feels like it's been forever since we've done an Infinity rewatch, even though it was only like two months. Um, I guess yeah. that's like it must be because last year was just so full of Marvel 
that it was a common occurrence to have something. But now we're starting phase five and we had this news, I'm sure you saw it, this news came out like maybe last week about Marvel and well, Disney in particular, but Marvel kind of reining in the quantity of what they're putting out. So they're going to focus on putting out less and just making them the best they can be. Um, I don't know if you saw that, like Feige was just talking about how they're, mm -hmm. they're just trying to not oversaturate things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I did see this. I had a talk with my my brother Nick, who hopefully we can one day get on here. I know. Uh, and uh, Nick Nick said it himself. He's like, Bob Iger's come back, and the first thing Bob Iger did is he's like, "Whoa, Marvel, we need to rein it in just a little bit." And Kevin Feige agreed. He, he's a bit overextended right now. And mm -hmm. the problem is, is he, I wouldn't say trusted too much. It's just the problem is, is like he's like, here you go. Uh, this is what we want. Go have fun. And he didn't. They didn't have the same uh, attention to detail as they did with the first kind of you know the first two phases because it was still coming off the ground. Whereas this point, it's like it's in the clouds. It's in cloud nine. So they're just like, hey, let's just make it. Let's just go and do it. And and Kevin Feige is all about. He's the project lead. So he's the guy who just signs off on projects now, and the rest is off of his hands. Like he doesn't really. He has the vision of how he wants things to play out and he has his producers to help him execute it. But really he's, he's very high up there now. So he's approving and signing all the content and that's it. The rest is up to the rest of the group. So there's, there's not as much attention to detail as there used to be. So that's why there's kind of been these hit and misses. Whereas some directors who really know their stuff is going to, it's going to be a hit. And then some directors who don't, it's going to be a miss because they just don't, they don't have the same guidance as they normally would with the older directors, you know, like John Favreau and Kevin Feige, like that's like, you know, your dynamic duo right there. And uh, even Peyton Reed, Peyton Reed's a huge comic book nerd. So, you know, you're in good hands. Uh, same with James Gunn. Like uh, even for guardians three, I'm sure Kevin Feige was just like, yep, you go right ahead. I'll just check up on you every once in a while. But yeah. like, it's, it's very much James Gunn, you know what I mean? But like, you know, Oscar award winning, you know, um, I think it's Chloe, Chloe Zhao. Um, she, she doesn't probably know comics as well as, you know, other people. So she's going to, she's going to lean towards more of her movie experience than her comic experience and then kind of find a happy medium there. Right. I know zero. I know zip about Eternals comics. Uh, yeah. I'm one of the few people who really likes the Eternals movie, and I'm sure that if you're a diehard Eternals comics fan, there's probably a million things, quote-unquote, wrong with that movie, just based on an adaptation standpoint. Um, but, I mean, I know there's always give and take when you're adapting things, but this whole idea of reining it in and putting out less per year... I, I feel like it's not going to be as big a change as a lot of people are afraid it is. Because if you think about it, phase four did start with a lot at once. Um, and I'm looking specifically at 2021. Because 2021 had Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, and Spider-Man. So that's four movies. And it also had WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, and Hawkeye. Five shows. So five shows, right. four movies. That's a lot. But what we have to remember is 2021 was just playing catch up because we missed a year because COVID-19. 
right? Right. That, that's what that was there for. That's why we had so much all at once. And then when you look back at last year, 2022, what did we have? It was less. It was Doctor Strange, uh, Love and Thunder, Wakanda Forever. So three movies. Right. Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, three shows. And then a couple of Halloween and Christmas specials. Yeah, a couple of one-offs. Yeah. So three movies, three shows, and like a one-off. I think that's a perfect amount for a year. I think that Absolutely. fills out a year nicely. There were nice little gaps in between. So it wasn't like there was a Marvel thing every week. So right. if they go with this year, if they go with that same model, three movies, which is what we have, we have this Guardians and Marvels, and then three shows, and then maybe a one-off, that's not going to be a radical shift. We're not going to feel starved. We're not going to feel a Marvel famine. Uh, and... Quite the contrary, we'll probably actually feel like we have room to breathe. <laughs> exactly. And they they just announced that they're pushing back the Marvels from, it, it's moved from July to November. So it is yep. now going to be a winter movie instead of a summer movie. So what that tells me, Ryan, is maybe the summer is going to be the new home for a show. Mm -hmm. Right? And they just want to move one to make room for the other. The thing about the shows this year is we're really... Up, we're really in the dark. We don't know what's coming out when. We know it's probably Secret Invasion, Loki, and something else that I can't remember. Um, but we don't know when they're happening. Yeah. So maybe they're just going to move those around. But I think three movies and three shows sounds good to me. I don't know about you. Uh, actually, yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> I, I do recall a time when it was just like one movie, like... Uh, one movie a year into two movies a year yeah. and that felt like an eternity between you know, mm. movies we didn't even have shows to fill that void so um i think it's better to pace it out a little bit i think it's i think it's at a point now where we do need to pace it out a little bit i you hear a lot about exhaustion from casual fans to hardcore fans like it's it's getting to a point now where it's like we need to focus on the quality and impactful moments of show uh, from shows and movies, uh, as opposed to just like pumping out content and having to write so much exposition about a character uh, just to fill time. And there, one thing a fan always hates is when they know you're just filling time right. to get to something else. And it's it's so minuscule. It's so like you know these events of like all this exposition so minuscule that it's like we don't need this. Let's let's get to the get to the real meat and potatoes here, right? Like, um, you know, which which kind of reigns me back into Quantumania is is really both this movie, actually, yeah, this movie is kind of wastes no time at all. No. Every scene, every scene, every story building moment is like building as quick it's like assembling a lego wall like it's just like because it that's what it needs to be because like honestly at this point you should know your content and and even if you're new it gives you just enough to be like okay this is where this is where it's at like it's like it's not even like we're not going to tell you too much about why it is where it is because you should know that and if you don't someone will clearly tell you it's like okay you know, buckle up because here's what's going on right now. And it's just like, whoa, like, it's just like <laughs> constant, like, here's what's here's here. And then you're just like, oh my God, it's just, it, it, cause it does, this movie does attack you visually with everything that's going on. Uh, you know, I think that the movie title everywhere, 
everything everywhere all at once or whatever. That is the most apt fitting description of what this movie is because it is everything everywhere all at once. Um, because at this point, phase four has spent a lot of time building up all these characters and everything. And really all you need to know is Loki, uh, Loki mm -hmm. show, and then get into this because that's all that matters. And really, and then really it's like, okay, and man, you know what this character's been through. You know where where all the characters have been through at this point. So now we're just going to toss them into a world where time doesn't exist and just like, okay, let's fix their problems. Go. And yeah, to me, to me, this movie did exactly what I wanted to do. My one rule from, from what I've talked to from my, from uh, my friends as, as well as you, Fantasia, uh, I said, the only thing I need for this movie to work is Kang. If Kang works, then the whole movie works, in my humble opinion, because it's all that matters. And it did. It worked perfectly for me. In fact, the whole movie felt like a Saturday morning cartoon for me. It didn't need Oscar-winning yes. performances. It just needed incredible visuals with fun comic book story elements. And that's exactly what it delivered. And I couldn't ask for more. I literally could not ask for more. Saturday morning cartoon is a great way to sum up this movie because it really yeah. does feel like that. Because um, it wastes it wastes no time, and every no. scene is relevant to the current story, and that's all you need to know. And if you need to know more, they kind of have these small moments of like last time on this episode, like you know, and it, like, and there's no scene, there's no scene that that you know wastes time. Everything you have 22 minutes, you got to solve all the problems within the 22 minutes, mm -hmm. and they pull it off. Um, I first of all, I want to say thank you to whoever is putting the final, giving the final okay to these amazing subtitles we're getting on these movies. I'm so yeah. thankful we live in a world where somebody, some business person was cool enough to be like, you know what, let's call this movie Quantumania. You know what, let's call this movie the multiverse of madness. In a world where we get bombarded with like just lame ass tired subtitles like the rise of or resurrection Right, I'm so glad that somebody creative is like, no, nah, let's call this movie Quantum Mania, a word that doesn't even get used in the movie, but it's kind of a fun wink to the audience to be like, yeah, you're in for just insanity. So thank you, whoever made that choice. Thank you so much. Um, and right away, I mean, like we spend 95% of this movie in the quantum realm. The the real world is is barely there. So. I mean, you and I both left the theater really digging the film. I think we can say that off the bat without giving too much away. We really dig this film. A lot of people in the Twitter yeah. world did not dig it. There's a lot of negativity. I mean, but that's Twitter, right? That's Twitter. Mm -hmm. We Unfortunately, we live in that point in time now in the timeline of the existence of the MCU where it has now become, and I hate saying this, it has now become cool to be contrarian and to just hate on Marvel for existing, right? Um, but one thing that was missing from this movie, Ryan, and I'm wondering if this ticked a lot of people off is Luis. Um, yeah. Who is a, just a, <laughs> a stalwart Ant-Man character who's been part of the Ant-Man series. Who's not only missing, but I don't think there's even a mention of Luis unless I'm mistaken. So I'm there's, curious. There's no mention of them. No any mention. Of them. I'm curious if, there was some kind of angry backlash from that, like hashtag where's Louise or whatever. I don't know. But mm -hmm. did you feel his absence? Because I didn't really feel like I was missing him. 
because there was so much the movie gave us. Absolutely. This, this movie hits you with a lot right out of the gate. And I, again, like they're fun characters to have, but they weren't needed for this film. In mm -hmm. fact, I think you, I think you got the, the, cause they were probably the driving force of the second one as much like, cause like the second half, the second half of Batman and the Wasp, um, the three wombats as they, <laughs> uh, but like they, they drove the, the latter half of the story cause they needed the help, you know, uh, they need to help uh, Scott Lang. So this one, uh, it, because they weren't doing anything in San Francisco, there was absolutely zero point for them to be needed. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah so they, yeah. they don't have, I, I mean, if they had shoehorned them into this film, mm -hmm. then you run the risk of people saying, we didn't need Luis. Why is this movie two and a half hours long? There's, why do we keep jumping back to the real world to see Luis deal with whatever? I don't know. Right. Um, so, I'm glad, I mean, obviously it's a bummer not to see those characters because all three of them are fun, but I'm glad they didn't try to just stuff them in there for the sake of having them in there. Um, mm -hmm. That's the beauty of the way Marvel works is we, I don't like thinking of it like a normal trilogy or normal series where it's like you have to keep everybody in it. This is more like a TV show where just because they're not in this episode doesn't mean they won't be in Ant-Man 4. Absolutely. I mean, assuming there is an Ant-Man 4 at this point. Um, I, I mean, because like in my humble opinion, I think it, if they are going to do, you know, 4, 5, and 6, then obviously even like, because like it's apparent even from the trailers, is Cassie will carry the torch and it will be Cassie's trilogy. Right. And, you know, or even the Wasp, like it could be the Wasp's trilogy. Um, but I doubt, personally me, it's kind of, this movie kind of completes the journey of everything related to Ant-Man. You know, I don't think you, you could give more, but you could leave it at that. And I think it's just enough for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just like, like, that's it. Agreed. So we go into this movie knowing that a certain individual by the name of Jeff Loveness is in charge of telling the story. And Jeff Loveness has told stories in another crazy quantum world called Rick and Morty. Um, I don't know about you, Ryan, but this felt like they don't need to make a live action Rick and Morty now because they already made one and it's Ant-Man and the Wasp and Quantumania, right? Like this looked like a Rick and Morty. You know, it, it, <laughs> it did. It Honestly, you could really tell that the writing of Rick and Morty like came through this movie because uh, when it's funny, it's funny. Like, like I, there was a lot of laugh out, mo laugh out loud mo moments from the audience. Like it was like, and I don't think it was like, kind of like you felt like you had to laugh. Like it was just, it was funny. Like it was a really good film yeah. in, that, in that regard. Um, so the, it, it, you kind of feel different creators work in this one, um, you know, from Peyton Reed's visuals and overarching storytelling for Ant-Man plus the, you know, um, plus the, the comedic writing of the Rick and Morty thing. It, it worked, though, in my opinion. It, it was kind of like this clash, this, um, uh, uh, what's the word, constructive interference 
where it built this movie that worked. It worked in the tone that Peyton Reed set with a Rick and Morty style writing that made Scott Lang funnier and like really played up the comedy that he brings to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Cause he does that's Scott Lang, you know, he's full of heart, but he's, uh, he's, he's a lighthearted character specifically designed to help lift up whatever's going on. Right. Like, you know, you look at the first Ant-Man, like, you know, things are pretty dark. Things are pretty grim. You know, Hank Pym is essentially being, you know, no longer useful and his world, the world's moving on without him, but he's, he's dark because he, you know, he lost Janet, you know, and he's, he's very grim about it. And he, he's lost his relationship with his daughter. He's, uh, and Scott's getting out of jail, trying to re, you know, trying to connect with his own daughter who, who has a new family now because of the, the, the cop dad and everything. And he brings all this lightheartedness and, and reminds people of the joy and, and kind of the, the youth that he brings to everybody um, and the hope that he brings to everybody, you know, and that's really interesting to me, even, even Endgame, like Endgame, like the characters hit like an all time low point and the last, the last, okay. <laughs> the moment, the last moment before Scott is introduced. Okay. Black Widow is basically telling Cap, she has no reason to move forward. She is done. She is, that's it. There's nothing left. Her best friend has gone into like a murderous rampage and the world is like, there's nothing going on. (laughs) And she's like, and the only thing she had was the world of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury. And she doesn't even have that. And then Scott Lang comes in and turns the whole thing around. So how can, how can you not do a movie, a third movie where it is, it has to be the epitome of funny yet intense all at the same time. And that's exactly what they did. And they set it up with this cool little setup that I was not expecting. Like I had no idea how they were going to get to the point where they go to the quantum realm and there's Tang. Obviously the trailers showed us a little bit, but essentially Mm -hmm. Cassie's a genius. She's kind of a juvenile delinquent, but she's also a genius. And They've created this, since the last time we have seen these characters, they have sort of formed this really tight family dynamic to the point where Cassie is calling Hank Grandpa Hank, even though there's yeah, no yeah. relation, right? Mm. And we get this great scene where they're sitting together having pizza. And I just, I was thinking of you during that scene and I'm like, okay, we have all these crazy genius scientific characters and they're sitting around as a family. What did you see there, Ryan, that made you think, okay, Take this, put it in Fantastic Four. We got a stew going, right? Because there's yeah. there's something there. There's got to be. Absolutely, I think they definitely piloted a couple of things to see how it's going to play out. Which, it, in my opinion, it does work. In fact, when Hank Pym was first being introduced, there were moments where I'm like, uh, there was a trailer where there was all these monitors and and someone sitting in a chair, and and I was like, oh man, this could clearly be easily the setup for Reed Richards. Like, it's just so so clear like clear clear as day that this could be reed richards and we could just get right into fantastic four that way um but yeah i do feel that they're really kind of introducing that marvel family element and i mean disney loves disney loves family stories but it's it's all about how they're retold in the flavors of whatever you know team is working on what so star wars 
Mandalorian's going to have a family story and here's how it, but it's the Mandalorian family story. Marvel, we had, you know, Hank Pym's family story and it, it was fun. It was a fun little, it was a fun scene, but yes, I definitely got some good old fantastic four vibes just because of the different, different personalities all clashing together in a family setting. And, you know, yes. you have hope who's like a super, you know, humanitarian, you know, world genius. You have Hank Pym with the Pym particles. I mean, I will say, man, the, the movie's pretty vicious about Scott Lang being, you know, useful compared to these people who have like changed the world. Like they're, they're pretty savage towards them. I felt, I felt kind of bad. Like, I know. Yeah. Cassie's really, <laughs> really mean to her dad here. And uh, that it's, it's crazy because yeah, he did help save the world. I get it. And there's, Ant-Man has never really been, a, like in the movies at least, he's never really been shown as like he's a crime fighter. He just is a guy who happens to have this suit and he's trying to do mm -hmm. his best. So I don't know how much crime there is in San Francisco. It looks like a pretty clean, wholesome place to live. So I don't know what they're expecting of him. Thanos is gone. Uh, whatever other threats there are are probably just being dealt with by other people. But yeah, they were... They were really savage to to Scott Lang there, and they, it was not founded. He's he's doing his best. He's a good guy. I Get mean, he back. helped he helped the Avengers save the world. I mean, what does he have to do? What does he have to do after that? But write a book. You know? I know, right? Uh, I want to buy a copy of that book. By the way, it's oh yeah, there's the funny <laughs> the funny clip about him being the Hulk's baby. Am I the Hulk's baby? <laughs> oh man, you know yeah. Paul Rudd is down to do that whole audio book too. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So Cassie's a genius. She builds uh, a thing that sends a signal to the quantum realm because she basically wants the Hubble telescope her way to map out the quantum realm. And as soon as Janet hears that this is happening, she loses her shit. And she's like, do not send a signal down there. And mm -hmm. that's one of the first big things that I want to give kudos to this movie for is... Uh, we go a long time before we see Kang. Uh, well, we see him in the beginning. That's so. That's a lie. But, but not not as like Kang. Yeah. Essentially. Um, and we go an even longer. Like it. We don't even hear his name until probably about halfway through the movie. Mm -hmm. So it the build up to Kang is so well done because they sell him like he just. He looks like a normal guy. There's nothing, he's not like a big scary alien or a monster. He just looks like a normal, handsome man just walking around in a suit in the quantum realm, right? There's nothing threatening about just the way he looks. But they do such a great job of building him up as such a terrifying threat. And it starts with Michelle Pfeiffer, who, by the way, I hope I aged half as well as she does, because she looks, I think she looks even more beautiful now than she did in like Batman Returns. Like Michelle Pfeiffer, just like, what are you doing? Give she's me some reverse, of your water. She's reverse aging. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, she could still play Catwoman. Flash movie, you, you still got room and time. Put her in there as Catwoman yeah. again. But like, she sells it with just the horrified way she reacts to the fact that Cassie is sending signals to the quantum realm, and it just keeps snowballing from there. Where I'm so curious, somebody, I'd love to get the perspective of somebody who's watching this film who knows nothing about Kang and who didn't even know Kang was a, a thing. I would love to get their perspective of like what they went through while watching this thinking like, Ooh, who's, 
who's she so afraid of? Uh, and I want to know what was going through their head because I, I thought that they sold him as a villain stupendously. And you, Ryan, you really wanted King to be done right. So did this help? Yes. Oh, 100% this helped. Uh, this, every scene Kang is in is like perfect. You, I don't think you could, you could have done that scene any better than what they gave you. Like his performance is so rich and intense and, and he does such creative little things. Like he doesn't have, like, I can't remember one of the approach to his lines, but like you see him really kind of contain his like rage because like he's been exiled on this place for god knows how long and he's just like when something doesn't go his way he like has this moment where he's about to erupt but he, he contains it and then he just tries a more subtle approach and it's oh my god it's there's so much detail in all all the movements of his face it, it tells such a story it's it's uh it's, it's just amazing but yes kang worked and it's so perfect that Kang worked because you know, because you, you know, as a Marvel fan, and if you've been watching the Marvel announcements, he's carrying, he has to carry an entire phase. He is the Thanos of this phase. Mm -hmm. So it needs to work. And it not only, you know, when I say, does it need to work is like, did the comic book version meet the MCU version so well that they're they're intertwined and you now have a character that is translated perfectly from the comics to the screen. And yes, they 100% did that. Like this is, you know, Red Skull, Kang, you know, Thanos, like this he already instantly has joined the, you know, the hall of MCU villains that were properly translated to the wonderful world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh yeah. And I'm scared of this guy. Now I'm I'm terrified of what he can do. Um, whoop, I think I feel a sneeze coming on. Is it happening? No, it's going away. False alarm. False alarm. Uh, the um, and and you say translating him from page to screen, and again they did that perfectly. Costume and all, Kang always looked like a Lego character to me with that weird thing he wears on his head. So I was like, how are they going to make this not look silly? And they did it. And they managed to do it without radically changing him at all. Like, he looks exactly like Kang in the comics. So, again, costume department, like, you guys are rock stars. Now, I'm going to say three movie titles to you, Ryan. Okay. Because this is an important thing that I think Quantumania needs to be given another round of applause for. So these three movie titles are... Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther, okay? And the reason I say those three titles is because those are three movies that shined a flashlight or a spotlight or whatever on a particular corner of the Marvel world Yeah. and said, look how dense and rich and layered this one little corner of the Marvel universe is, right? Look at look at Wakanda. Look at just how much fun you can have in Wakanda. Yeah. So those three movies for me, as a guy who loves world building, I eat those movies up like candy every time I look at them. I'm like, wow, look at that. Who's that guy? What's that building? What does she do? 
right? And now for the first time, an Ant-Man movie has done that for me. For the first time, Marvel has said, look at the Ant-Man world and look how much fun you can have there. Because yeah, San Francisco's great. Luis and, and the Wombats are great. But <laughs> the, the world of the quantum realm with jelly people and the barbarian lady and all the war that's going on and Kang's blue stormtroopers and Bill Murray and whatever those things are he's drinking. And my personal favorite, that guy with the cannon face who's got like a universe cannon for a face. I'm just like, there's six more movies you could have right here. What? When can we play in this playground again? Actually, I forgot Absolutely. to add Doctor Strange is another one that I would add to that in terms of just like, hey, look at this corner. So world building was taken to 11 in Quantumania. I don't know how you felt about it, Ryan, but for me, it was mm. like the gold standard. Oh, I loved it. I mean, again, this is exactly where Marvel needs to go is you need to show us new, like you need to keep going out before you go in. Like, you know, especially before Avengers Infinity War, that's what Chris Pratt was saying. Like, go out, continue, don't let the characters meet because they need to keep stretching as far as it can go and then you know uh, you know technically yes events should bring them back but mm -hmm. you try to delay it as long as possible because the further you go out the more you learn like imagine if guardians didn't quite meet you know the avengers yet they probably would have found nova you know and brought right. back nova for us that kind of thing like there's still so much more to do and explore and they they, they need to continue to do that and we kind of, you know, we get that fun experience in, in Quantumania is we meet newer characters, Kang, and we also meet our boy Modoc. Modoc! Uh, but yeah, it, but you meet more and more characters. In fact, there's there's at least, uh, I'd say, a handful of new characters from the Marvel world in this movie. Ooh, so some of those characters are comic characters too. Okay. Absolutely. I like that. Um, now I have a science question for you slash comic question. I would it, never ask me a science question. <laughs> you stretch the imagination. It could be both or it could be either. I don't know. But mm -hmm. the quantum realm, okay, they say, I think it's, it's Janet who says that it exists outside of time and space. Yes. Right? So is that why, because obviously to get to the quantum realm, you got to shrink real to the point where you're like beyond microscopic. So... Yeah. If it's beyond time and space, is that why, you know, every time I take a step in my living room, I'm not crushing the barbarian lady and her friends? Is it because they're outside of time and space? Because if getting into the quantum realm, if they go in through the quantum realm through their the thing that they had in Cassie's garage, for example, at the beginning of the movie, does that mean that that barbarian town or wherever they were is just in that garage and that the whole planet earth has like a bajillion quantum realm villages right how does this work exactly help me out here science so <laughs> so i'm gonna try to base it this way and, and just go for it so it's it's the ant-man shrinks to such a level that he gets down to a sub atomic level Right. Therefore, the the current constructs that we built around time and space are irrelevant to him because uh -huh. he's shrunk it down that size. So no, you will not be destroying anything on a subatomic level. <laughs> okay. And in terms of spatial uh, travel, 
Like if they're all standing in that garage at the beginning of the movie, when they all get sucked into the quantum realm, they all yeah. end up kind of near where the barbarian forces are. Right. Uh, yeah. That lady they they all end up kind of near her area. So Gentora, right. Gentora, Thank you. Gentora. Yeah. So if I take a plane right now and I go to like Hong Kong and then in Hong Kong, I open a portal and go into the quantum realm. I can still end up right next to Gentora because space moves differently. Or am I in Hong Kong's quantum realm? Yeah. I, again, I, that's part of science. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's possible. I mean, it could be like a pocket dimension kind of thing. It's <laughs> string theory, I guess. Okay. But yeah, it's possible. It's I would say it's possible, but I, again, I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. So, so what you're saying is we should both get our PhDs and then come back and do the show at that point. The more, but that's the beauty of Marvel, man. The more I'm exposed to this stuff, the more I'm kind of interested to see how it works. And Marvel, Marvel, though they don't do anything super scientifically accurate. Stan Lee, he still did the research enough to um, still did the research enough to add some relevancy to it, saying like this may not be exactly how it works, but in theory, this is how something could work. And it's like if you want to learn more, this is how you do it. That's why he never liked Superman because he's like, where does Superman get his ability to fly? And he's like, visually, there's no reference for me to understand. And, and like, yeah, you can talk about gravity and the sun giving him energy, and that's why he flies and all that stuff. But he's like, that's why with Thor, I loved how he swung the hammer to fly because the hammer helps him fly, right? Uh -huh. And and that's why Ant Man he does he uses ants to fly. Like no character <laughs> when all of Stanley's creations don't fly normally. Like they need something to help them fly. Um, and uh, especially another good example is Namor. He has the wings on his little ankles. Right. And personally, that's been something about dc that i always like is i like how dc is a bit more magic in the way it runs things sometimes yeah. Some, sometimes there's science too but it leans more on the side of the supernatural um like green lantern's rings for example there's no real sciencey way to explain that so i like that aspect of it but uh yeah there's there's science to this we're just not the right people to explain it. But uh, I, I think that the idea of it being a pocket dimension seems like that's the most logical thing. Mm -hmm. um, because if, it's, if you think about it in the sense of physical space, the quantum realm is so tiny compared to us that if what we saw in the movie was just the quantum realm of this one garage in San Francisco, then it's endless. The breadth of this thing would be endless. Uh, so let's talk, Ryan. Let's talk about Modoc. I loved how they introduced him. I mean, like, the movie does a great job setting up things, like setting up mm -hmm. Kang. And when Kang comes, oh my God, when Kang fully actualizes Kang, it's, 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 a mo it's just a beautiful moment. And, and Kang was no different. Um, you know, they, they kept saying they'll send him, you know, and then uh, Bill Murray, I think, gets to introduce him first, if I'm not mistaken. And he's like, they send a machine that's only designed for killing. And, yeah. and then uh, and and they do, you know, it, it, it's the movie's so fast paced that but if you take a moment or to appreciate what's happening is that they introduce Kang like a comic book. They have like one of his weapons in a single shot frame. 
all the weapons he's using in single shot frames. And then the final shot is him swooping into the the scene. And you get this shot of him. And it's just like, ah, it's not on. Like, <laughs> and they, and, you know, they did kind of a clever thing, um, which, again, kind of makes me think, like, this was always the plan. Uh, but I wasn't 100% sure. Uh, but, like, people thought that the gold face Kang is like his face and like that's what he looks like throughout the entire movie ah. it kinda, I don't think that was the case from the beginning I personally I feel like they had a plan and they stuck with the plan and so they showed um, and so his it's it's kind of like a helmet for him and the helmet goes away and you see you see uh, Darren essentially which I kind of knew that they weren't going to go with a comic accurate identity of Kang he looks like Kang. He moves like Kang. His relationship with other characters, or sorry, he looks like Modok. He he acts like Modok, um, and his relationship with other characters is exactly like Modok. Um, but it's just a different. It's just it's Darren. <laughs> it's right. like it's, which it makes sense within the construct of the MCU. It's it's at a point now where we will get comic accurate characters, but the backstory has to be related to the work that the MCU has done at this point. You can't just introduce whatever his name is, George Carlton or whatever, Tarleton or whatever. Um, it has to be, it has to be Darren because like, why else would you introduce MODOK? Right. Uh, I mean, they've, I think a lot of people have gone sour on MODOK. A lot of like the Twitter folks have really just not taken to MODOK very well because of this inaccuracy between the comics but it's like like you're saying you've got to make these little adjustments it's not going to be a one-to-one scale and i don't think anybody should want it to be because a one-to-one scale is not going to work as well no i mean look at sylvie everybody loved sylvie that's an amalgamation of several characters so is he who remains right you're you're going to get these little things that are just easier on the palette of marvel fans if they stick them together Mm -hmm. so yeah get darren in there and i loved it it created this really fun running gag in the film uh because he keeps interacting with the heroes in intermittent kind of staggered playouts right he doesn't meet them all at once so you get that fun thing of every time he shows up one of the heroes is like darren (laughs) it's just it's always this thing of like jesus what happened to you so I loved getting to look forward to that. Like you see him creeping up on Hank and I'm like, oh my God, Hank, Hank is going to have a funny reaction to seeing Darren, Darren's face on this MODOK thing. And he turned out to be so much fun. He was ridiculous. He was ugly. He was funny. He was dangerous, right? He was just this big head with all these weapons. It's exactly MODOK to me. Yeah. And and he actually yeah and he does like scientific things like he talks about how to, you know how to get what Kang requires and you know he does like the, the, the does cool things to do that uh, but in the end he you know the 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 villains having their moments and then Kang would interrupt being like perhaps you should do it this way and then they just like swat him away yeah. um, but but in the end here's the thing if they they look the look they walk the walk and talk the talk then you're that you got you got your translation you know what i mean like you got what you need the backstory may not be comic accurate but it's for me i've always said this through this entire infinity rewatch series is the marvel formula has always been and always will be 
the events may be like comic accurate, but how they get there will always adapt to what the MCU is doing. Yes. And to people who hated the way Modoc was depicted in this movie, let me remind those people. 20 years ago, if this was 2003 and this movie came out, you know 100% that what I'm about to say is what would happen. Modoc would have just been a guy in a suit with like a yellow tie. And he's like, hello, my name is Morty Dachshund. <laughs> and then he spends the whole movie like that. And then maybe for like one scene at the end of the movie, his face is on a big computer screen and the director's like, huh? See? See? That's what we would have gotten. Exactly. So, oh, 100%. <laughs> Take a look at the X-Men movie. The original oh, X-Men movie. Exactly. So thank your lucky stars. We got the MODOK that we did. And I think uh, it was perfectly suited to how I grew up with MODOK because to me, he's always been a henchman. Just yeah. based off the Iron Man cartoon, he was always Mandarin's henchman. I've never seen him as like a main antagonist in anything. So I think that it was just all the right moves to take this ridiculous character in. So Modoc made me super happy. I love the purple on like his weapons. Like it all just looked brilliant. Yeah, I love how he had the pink, the pink saw. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and he's actively, he spends like his the, the final act of the movie actively trying to kill a, a minor, just trying to kill yeah, a teenage girl. Like he, he is bananas, this guy. It is beautiful how they handled Modoc. Um, one character that we didn't end up seeing, and I want to ask you what you think they're going to do with this is a little lady by the name of Ravona Renslayer did not show up in Quantumania. I was thinking we would get her in like a flashback yeah, with Kang talking about how he ended up where he is. Uh, so no Renslayer. What do you think this means? Where, where is she going to fit into things? Well, it's just not this Kang. Ah. That's, as that's as simple as the, that's as simple as the answer gets. It's just mm -hmm. not that Kang that has Princess Ravana, and it's kind of funny because Princess uh, Ravana Renslayer, uh, she, how do I phrase this? She, uh, how is she a princess and he isn't a king? He's a conqueror, but he's not. He's not labeled as a king. So, mm -hmm. so clearly, I thought Gen Gentora was supposed to be Renslayer. Oh, okay. and and he comes and conquers her kingdom. And and she be she has to be with him kind of thing, you know what I mean? But clearly, it's just this isn't this isn't that Kang. We haven't found that 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 Kang who has Princess uh, Ravana. In fact, again, I, I think Loki season two may have the the, the Kang and Ravana pairing, but it's yeah, this isn't it's, this isn't that Kang. Although this Kang, comic book wise would have been that Kang, like the attitude, the, the, the way he does his, the way he does his things. Um, but it's just in this MCU world, this, this variant clearly doesn't have Ravona. Right. That makes sense. I, I have to keep remembering that variants are a thing, especially with Kang. Cause that seems to be what he's all about. Um, the Ravona thing, I only ever learned from you from what you told me about it, but it seems like that was the main driving force behind everything he's doing. And I think the Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes cartoon really played to Oh, that they, they do a beautiful job. They the way they set up that story, and it's it's very similar to the comics, is is that 
they use the cosmic cube, which essentially whoever touches it can realign their universe to whatever they wish. And so Cap touches it to bring back Bucky. And then Bucky gets captured by Russia. Right. Russia turns him into the Winter Soldier. And, and Winter Soldier. There yeah. you go. Bucky's back. Um, and then because of that, that sends a ripple effect through the time stream. And it ends up shifting Kang's perfect world in, you know, year 4,000 or whatever. And so Kang's perfect world is being rewritten. And so he has to take his, his Damocles base and get out of the, that timeline and then move back through the timeline in order to stop the events. And so he, and because of the events, he understands only the history that's been made. He has to go back and fix it. So yeah, we're, it's just, this isn't that Kang. This Kang was clearly motivated by being exiled and he wants to, you know, go back to conquering to, and start the, the wonderful secret war. And I'm assuming, I mean, it's hard to tell with Marvel, but it looks like this Kang ended the movie dead. Like there's no coming back from what happened to him. So mm -hmm. whatever Kang shows up in the Avengers forthcoming films is going to be a different variant of King who also just wants to conquer and kill and maybe yeah. search for his lost love. Well, yeah, exactly. Essentially, I, I think what's with the, the recurring theme is here is that we're just going to constantly see different variants. Um, and, and yeah, which, which will bring us to our end credit talk later, but like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think at this point, I think, which is kind of interesting because we'll, we'll get to see, again just constant different variations of this character and for jonathan majors it's perfect because he's going to be playing different characters every single time this is a dream come true for an actor man he looks like he's having so much fun playing all these variants yeah we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that but yeah i'm i love jonathan majors but i'm also a little bit jealous of jonathan majors because of the fun it looks like he gets that right here i mean you get you get two solid looks at very two very different characters if you look at loki and quantum mania it's yeah. two very different characters Yes. Um, and I'm hoping that the one that we spend the most time with in Avengers is a healthy mix of the two, because I really like the idea of the main villain being kind of crazy, like he who remains, right? Like that, that was a fun playoff and it was very different from Thanos. So yeah. I liked, I liked that disparity between the two. Um, in terms of Kang though, one thing I wanted to know from you is his powers and abilities, am I correct in assuming that he does not have any superpowers per se? He is just from a future that is so advanced that he can basically tap a thing on his wrist and like break your bones. Is that, is yep. that what I'm going? Okay. Yeah. So, well, you could, they kind of describe it in the movie that his tech is, is based on his intuition. Like it, it's, he, the, the technology is so forward that it responds to thought that's how good right. his technology is okay so which he... fun fact which fun fact on youtube this video does exist a guy programmed minecraft to respond to his taunts now you may go holy crap he's playing minecraft with his mind but he was only able to move a character forward and mine like just two simple actions it's all he was able to accomplish 
but he was able to get the game to read a value based on a thought he was projecting. And so he was able to change uh, the code from zero to one because he had to. But what's funny is, is you see him sitting there and he's just like sitting there and he's really focusing. And it, it came down to he had to still himself so much that that thought could be read. And it's funny because they do it in the first Ant-Man is like, how do you get the ants to do things is uh-huh. you have to make your thoughts precise and clear. And that's exactly what he had to do was he had to make his thoughts precise and clear. And he had to, he had to quiet himself pretty much. So this guy's a wizard is what you're telling me. <laughs> um, a technical wizard. Yes. I feel like if he started with like super Mario brothers one, he might've had an easier time with it. Cause Minecraft has a lot of menus and things, right? Just move yeah. and jump. Move and jump is all you need. Uh, yeah. But wow, good for him. That's incredible and frightening. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> but Kang, but Kang, it's all like he could just do, 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 do. So even if Cassie was not locked in that cell, if she was just walking around free, could he still be like beep beep and then like throw her into a wall? Could he still do that? Well, yeah, you see, you see him do it. Like he he does it in the cell. He flips her around and like pushes her into the wall. But is that just because she's in a cell? Like, is the cell got? Does it have? No, is no, he, like he, he has a. He kind of has like a field around, like it, that bubble you saw, that bubble around him. Mm-hmm. It, he can like essentially, essentially project matter onto somebody and manipulate that matter. Best oh. example: zero point energy in Incredibles, kind of like ah, okay, syndrome, right? Um, so he's he's got all of this, but. What I like about it is it's still it's still a normal man in there. So like you could theoretically be like, hey Kang, and you would probably if you catch him by surprise, you you probably end the secret war pretty quick. Right? Uh yeah, if you if you catch him with this with without his armor, it's it's very possible. Okay, neat. Um that's one thing, one of the reasons why I don't like the X-Men villain apocalypse. He's just like, nothing hurts me ever. So I'm, gl- I'm glad there's like this cool little uh, give and take. There's a lot of strength, but you can still theoretically get things done if you need to fight Kang. Um, now, Bill Murray. How do you like this, this, uh, this cool little character that he ends up giving us? I think here? it's fun. I, I honestly, I don't think it hurts. I don't think it hurts the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all. I mean, he played, he did play a Marvel character from the comics. His character is real. It does exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he was just fun. He was just a fun character. He didn't really bring any gravity to the movie or anything. He was just, he helped drive the narrative and that's all he needed to do. And it's just fun to have another, I think what they're trying to do is bring in these very, you know, uh, Hollywood level actors to kind of get Hollywood to accept them a little bit more, right? Because you, right. I mean, you had Anthony Hopkins, you have Robert Redford of all people, which in in our humble, you know, going to college, I was told that would never happen. I was told to my face that Robert Redford would never be in a Marvel film. You should have made him. Happen. You should have made a bet. I should have made him bet. I really should have. But I, but you know, I, I'm sure. Obviously, it's a good business move, regardless. For Robert Redford, I'm sure. You know, you could look at it very much the business way and be like, "Oh yeah, he clearly did it for the money." Sure, yeah. But he could. 
this man is like sitting on top of the acting throne and he's just like he doesn't even have to do he doesn't have to do it no doesn't he i'm sure robert redford has made more than enough money in his lifetime why did he do it probably because he has grandkids or he has relatives who have kids and he wants to be in a movie they would recognize that's why raul julia played in street fighter 100 yeah. the reason did he care about the film no did, but but he his kids did and he was he told his kids what would you rather see me do would you rather see me do this kind of film or this kind of film and he said well you know it'd be cool if you did the street fighter movie he did it and he was he was it the best thing that happened in the movie absolutely it was <laughs> it was right it was so fun to watch him in that film it was it, diabolical he, he was the, <laughs> he was the best villain He's the best villain. And if you watch any of any of the clips on YouTube, the most popular ones, or any one where he's talking, because it's right. so good to watch. Uh, and it's like I'm doing a scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid with one of my acting classes. Yeah. And I have a student who's playing Sundance, and they're like, oh, maybe I'll watch the movie because I told my dad I'm doing the scene, and my dad said I should watch the movie. And I asked them, I said, uh, are you an MCU fan by any chance. They're like, yeah, yeah, I like the MCU a lot. And I said, you remember Alexander Pierce, Winter Soldier, whatever? Said, yeah, that's Sundance. And their face lit up like, <gasps> right? So right? that's exactly why you do these kinds of things, actors, yeah. because you get that reaction. So, well, yeah. Yeah, and, and and like that's, it's the same with Bill Murray. I'm sure Bill Murray has like relatives. I think he just thought it was a good idea. And he's just like, you know what? I'll just come and hang out with this film. I, you know, yeah. why not? And he did, I, I think personally, I'm not a huge fan of the one type of character that Bill Murray is always playing, right? Yeah. Um, I know that's going to make people hate me forever, but that type of just like, nothing phases me. I'm monotone all the time. That doesn't really jive with me. Um, yeah. But I thought as an actor, he did some really cool, subtle stuff I've never seen Bill Murray do before. In Quantumania, of all things, <laughs> he was playing a guy who came across to me as like, I'm a little bit jaded. I'm a little bit hurt because I thought I had a thing with you, Janet. Uh, so when you left, of course, I sided with the crazy tyrannical despot because, uh, yeah, I'm pissed off and I'm bitter. So bye. I'm going to sell you yeah. out. Uh, and he had like, what, four minutes of screen time? But it told so much about this guy based on what he did and how he treated them. And again, it painted this fun little world building picture of like, yeah, there's this whole history of Janet being a rebel fighting alongside him, having all these confrontations with Kang's empire in the quantum realm. And it's just his whole scene did a lot of uh, a backstory headcanon world building for me. And I love them a lot for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, again, is just, it was perfect. It was just, again, all you needed from him and he was fun. And I, I do agree with you. I like that. Essentially, it definitely came from a sense of jealousy in the sense of like, you came in as this, I, this is where I think some people had a huge disconnect with the movie because I don't think they did enough to show how impactful Janet was in the quantum realm. She was praised as like what could have been the pivotal factor in turning everything around and she abandoned them and now they're they're all hating her for it and they could have spent more time on that but again this movie doesn't waste time you got more than you needed from from bill murray's character about what happened 
and and then and then uh, Michelle Pfeiffer talks about it later on, and you get even more. You get you get as much as you need to to move forward with it. Yeah, it gives you all that information and that one little scene that's like straight out of the Star Wars cantina, and we got some great stuff from Bill Murray from it. So beautiful, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I don't think is there any other major beats we haven't covered before we get to the uh, the final uh, credit scenes here. What are we missing? Um, overall, I, Cassie was a fun character. I think Cassie is a great addition to the Marvel Universe. Um, she's, I mean, as long as that writing kind of sticks with her, I think she'll definitely carry the, the Scott Lang torch really well, and I look forward to seeing her in other projects for mm -hmm. that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any other beats we need to worry about. I mean, the movie, the, 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 the final war scene is just absolute fun, and they do a good yeah. job of kind of... I think it, this is where it felt like a Saturday morning cartoon to me. It's it's exactly a Marvel how to beat a villain. You know what I mean? Like they right. use their talent in order to circumvent the villain's master plan, and then boom, everybody wins. <laughs> or sorry, well, I, you know, the hero wins. And so yeah, I think they did a great job with that, and it was it was a great kind of way to beat the villain and have fun with it. Uh, and yeah, just watching Kang do his thing was just pure cinematic glory i oh my god from him again from him actualizing into kang with the armor and just having that pose this this coming down savior pose that he does oh, i love it so much um and uh yeah and just any scene he has where he's talking to the hero like where he's talking to scott is really good um and just oh my god when he's talking to uh Janet, it's so good. It is, I, I just had so much fun watching Kang. And really, and, and the reviews are all the same. They're like, the movie was uh, is okay. Or like, people loved it or hated it. And But every every person who loved or hated it all said the same thing. Kang is amazing. Did you have a favorite Kang line or Kang moment? Um, my favorite kind of Kang moment, if you will, is, is two scenes. One is the war scene when he like completely turns the tide himself and he's like, I am Kang. And he's, I am Kang. Yeah. You know, it was just so good. Um, and the second one is when he dismisses MODOK in the jail scene. It's just, Ooh. oh my God. Don't talk when, when I'm around that one. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk when I'm speaking and like. Oh, just you, you feel it. You feel it. Any scene, you feel it. It's just, oh, he's, he's so frightening. I think for and me, they, sorry, go ahead. Right. I was going to say, and they brought back Kang's chair. They even made Kang's chair almost yeah. comic accurate, which is pretty dope. Yeah, his little time chair. It's part of a ship. Um, for me, the, the one that stuck with me the most was when he first sees Janet and Hope. Um, and he does this thing with his face where I'm going to try to do it to the best of my abilities on this camera here, but he's looking at hope. Oh, sorry. He's looking at Janet and he's talking to her and then his eyes just kind of flick to hope and he goes, Hey, jelly bean. And then he looks back at Janet like terrifying. Ah, <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> that, that tells you so much of what you need to know about this guy. Like he knows he remembers uh, and he, he is absolutely going to use her as mm. leverage. I went into this movie actually thinking Kang was going to kill Hope um, because we knew going in there was going to be a backstory with him and Janet. 
So I didn't think Hope was going to make it out alive. I'm actually surprised that all the characters did make it out alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, we ended up with a full roster. Nobody's dead except probably that version of Kang. Uh, but that doesn't matter because after the the first mid credit scene, they made it abundantly clear that you kill one Kang, and just like a Hydra, another head rises up to mm-hmm. take its place. So we get the Council of Kangs. And again, Yay! you know, I can't help but think Jeff Loveness, when he was writing the Council of Ricks, was just like, one day, one day I'm going to write about Kings. You know, uh, you know where he got that from, right? Is it from the Council of Kings? It's come from the Council of Kings. Well, not only that, not only that, but there's also the Council of Reeds. And, oh. and, and Rick is based off of Reed Richards, like the, the character's... The right. way the character deals with people and everything is is a, a much more exaggerated version, but the the emotions and thoughts are there. Essentially, is like he's just bitter and and really factual about things to a point where it's very depressing. Right. Uh, uh, but but yeah, but that's where he got the whole Council of Ricks. Is is he got it from Marvel when they did the Council of Reeds and the Council of Kangs? Ryan did vacuum the couch. There is a variant where Ryan did vacuum the couch quite thoroughly, but there will always be different cabbage variants shedding fur on the couch. That's true. I was there, Isabella. I saw that variant vacuuming. And he was like, what's up on the variant? Um, And this council is full of all the kings, and particularly the three who seem to be in charge uh, which I could not believe we saw this on a big screen and that it was finally happening. And dear God, movie theaters, stop turning the lights on during Marvel credits. You should know better by now. Especially this last, the scene's pretty dark, so it's yeah. hard to see. I remember Eternals, like Eternals was so dimly lit that when that credit scene happened, I'm like, I think that's Harry Styles. I don't know. Like, um, but we we see <laughs> Ramatut, who yeah. just, like, Wow, I can't believe I saw Rama Todd on the big screen. We see the Scarlet Centurion, and we see Immortus. Yeah. And of the three of them, it seems like Immortus is the one like at the top of the pyramid here calling all the shots. But those three are looks like they're leading the charge. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna open up the floor to you, Ryan, and ask you, you know, what you thought of this, what you know about these characters and and where this might be going. But all I have to say based on my limited knowledge, is I know that Immortus is bad news and that he's going to be a playable character in Marvel United when we finally <laughs> get that next year. Um, we, no Rama Tut and no Scarlet Centurion, but we are getting, in the game, we're getting uh, Iron Lad as a hero. Um, and I know that's a Kang variant. But all I can say about this scene is Immortus, it sounds like Jonathan Majors is channeling Saw Gerrera from Rogue One. I was just waiting for him to be like, Who got it? Who got it? You came here to kill me. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I love that voice. Oh, my God. Uh, So tell me about these three. Why does Immortus talk this way, and why should we be afraid of them? Okay, well, I'll take out the why does Immortus talk this way first, because it's pretty straightforward. (laughs) It's just an acting choice. uh, I think because this man is... This man's the like essentially one of the older or one of the eldest kings. Then yes, that that's why he probably talks that way. 
Um, why should we be worried? Uh, because there is actually a nice little nod, uh, especially with Rama Tut. Uh, there's a nice little nod in Moon Knight with one of the barcodes. If you scan it, it's a West Coast Avengers comic where it was all the variants of Kang versus all the variants of Moon Knight oh. all <laughs> clashing together. So yeah, that's 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 the big kind of thing why. Um, and yes, you should be worried with Amortis because Amortis is going to kick off essentially uh, the Secret Wars. He's he's the instrumental factor that helps shape the Secret Wars. So, so they essentially they 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 literally that scene is this is the same kind of gravity that that Thanos brought when you first said like you know to, to kill them is to court death. I see. Okay, so. Yeah. When it comes to King Dynasty and Secret Wars, mm -hmm. is the, for lack of a better term, is the final boss king going to probably be Immortus, or is it going to be more a king that looks like the one we saw in Quantumania? The final boss king is, is definitely Immortus. Immortus okay. The, big, the biggest bad. Wow, interesting. All right, and, and what do these three kings want? Well, it's not it's not that it's not what they want. It's what's what's happened is that two Kang variants have been killed by right. and by just various people. Uh, but the fact that it's it's happening and that's that's doesn't Kang's always win. Mm. And for them not to win is insulting. And they're now now they're starting to show weakness. And if they lose, then you know there's just going to be chaos because they believe that they believe their it's their way or the highway because they're just the super powerful being that's transcended time itself. And um, and now two, especially Kang the Conqueror, who is tough to beat, was beaten by an Avenger. And now and this and that's always been kind of the Kang comic runs is like Kang comic runs mostly have been. They can, there's, for some reason, Earth 616 version of the Avengers cannot be beaten. And they're trying to figure out why. Mm. Wow. Okay. So they are, in this scene, they're reacting to the fact that, like, oh, my God, another one of us got killed. Um, and it's this batch of people from 616 again who are doing it. So that kind of painted a target on this universe's back, right? Yeah. That's them saying, like, it's essentially you've, you've killed two hornets, and the hornets mm -hmm. are sending pheromones to the hive saying, threat, threat. And now the hive is turning to look at us, and we're like, oh, God. Right? That, that's what's happening here. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. This is terrifying, especially because of the way Immortus talks, right? He's, oh, oh. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that happen again. Um, and then we got to see, to pan out and see this giant council of all these kings. I thought I saw Annihilus. It, it turns out it was a scroll variant. But it was, <laughs> it was darn close. It was because the lights were on in the theater. That's exactly. Funny. You turn the lights off, movie theaters. In fact, I have an actual quote here in the in the parking lot after the movie. I have written down exactly what you said. Quote. Andrew, I thought I saw Christine Everhart, who is going to be a nihilist. You were a hundred percent right. You are so smart and also handsome. End quote. I mean, majority of that is true. 
There's a part of it that's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's okay. We, we got plenty to worry about without having a Nihilus coming to the picture. We got uh, lots of things <laughs> to worry about. And then uh, our end end credit scene. And I love when the movies do this. Like I, I keep thinking back to Shang-Chi and Eternals where both of the scenes are very important scenes. It's not just like an important one and then a joking one. I love when that happens. Mm -hmm. So we get the Council of Kings and, you know, and I thought the end credit scene was going to be a jokey one. I told you it was probably going to be Luis being like, hey, I missed everything, right? But instead we get, I think his name is Joseph Timely, this this version of, of Kang, who's from like the 1900s. Is it something, yeah. something Timely? Something to that, yeah. And he's talking about time travel and lo and behold, who should be listening, but Loki and wow, Mobius is there too. This is, this is exciting. Uh, that's as good a trailer for Loki season two as any right there. Absolutely. I mean, what's crazy is, is that we still don't know what exactly happened at the end of Loki. We know he switched. We know he, he's obviously back to uh, a different which which brings a lot of context to the statue uh, now in 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 the end of Loki. So so what happened to that world and why is this young variant like a thing? And what's interesting is, of course, it's it's a great demonstration of history repeating itself, right? Because you know the the conqueror had the multiversal engine, and now this young variant has created a multiversal engine. Right. And now, so I I'm curious. I'm curious if if because remember that time and space is irrelevant, right? So if a multiversal engine is created, what if he accidentally opens to when Kang is trying to escape? Oof. The the conqueror, right? And he comes right. that, he comes back. Which would create another variant, a variant where he didn't uh stay in the quantum realm and get killed by Ant Man. Exactly. Oh boy, this is going to be a very heady. Uh, this is concept. exciting, is what yeah. this is. This is hella exciting. This is a great kickoff to Phase Five, and it kind of brings back to it. Kind of brings back to the charm of the the first saga, uh, which was it had a pace and it had to keep up with where it's going. And now yeah. it's like now it's like Phase Four was kind of like there wasn't a really strong pace to it. But now it's kind of syncing up to go like now it's kind of getting the reins and being like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to Kang. And now this mm -hmm. is why we're doing this is why we're going to Kang. And I have a theory that that based on the end credit sequence of Song-Chi, that um, that device is going to open the portal to bring Kang into. No, don't open it, Shang-Chi. Just go, yeah, go to exactly. instead. The ten rings, because the ring technology was Kang. Kang had all the rings around his chair, right? Oh, that's right. Oh crap. Okay. So this is scary. I love the idea that we're just gonna keep seeing Jonathan Majors pop up. He's just gonna be wearing different hats. <laughs> um God, he must be having so much fun. What a what a like dream acting job that is. Yeah. Um <laughs> And if Loki season two is them hunting down a different Kang variant every episode, I think that could be really exciting. Yeah. Um, and it might go in that direction. Who knows? Again, that's a show that's supposedly coming up this year. We don't have a release date. We don't even have a release month. It's just 
maybe 2023. We'll see what happens there. But in the meantime, I think this movie has told us we can look forward to it's Kang's world now and we're just living in it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's going to be, it's going to be fun. This is going to be, this is going to be a fun saga. <laughs> I'm so excited. So this is the empire strikes back of what phase one was supposed to be. Yes. Of, of what saga one is. Uh, sorry. Of, of, yeah. What's of yeah. the saga? Yeah. Of the Infin phase the Infinity four. saga what? was a new hope. Phase four was a new hope. <laughs> ah, there you go. Oh my God. Phase four and four episode four. Oh my God. Mind blown. So I hope this means phase six has Ewoks. If it doesn't, I'm out. All right. So all we need to know about this phase is that it's the Empire Strikes Back. So it's Kang striking back uh -huh. left, right, and center. So in, in our Marvel uh, character list here, we got all these new Quantum Realm characters, right? We got, um, uh, what's her name? The Barbarian Lady? Gentora. Gentora, thank you. J-E-N-Tora, so played by the fabulous Katie M. O'Brien. Very lovely lady. Great shape. Fantastic oh, yeah. shape. She was beautiful. I was like, more Gentora, please. Uh, yeah, she's actually a, uh, actually a well-credited stuntwoman, which is uh, really awesome to see. Nice. I actually saw somebody on Twitter say, you know, if they want to bring back Cara Dune in The Mandalorian, and they kind of pointed at Katie O'Brien, and I'm like, hey, that's okay with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. So Jen uh, we also got Lord Krylor, who is played by Bill Murray, who is also a Marvel character. Right, Krylor. Uh, okay, yeah. And, of course, our boy Modoc. Our boy Modoc, even oh, though hold it's... Hold on, my speaker dead. Uh-oh. Even though it's technically still Yellow Jacket in the Modoc suit. Better. We got Sorry, Modoc. say it again. Oh, I was just talking about how I'm adding Modoc to the list. Oh, yeah, we got our boy Modoc. Yeah, Modoc is there. Um, and I think that's every. Do I already have Kang from the Loki show? Yeah, I already put Kang when we were doing Loki. Um, so. But you got Immortus as well. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. Thank you. Immortus, Ramatut, and Scarlet Centurion. Okay. So I better add these. For, I've, I don't know why Immortus made me as excited as. It did, but him and Ramatut, like they were very uh, welcome additions oh, yeah. to all of this. And I hope there's a, a nice Immortus action figure soon because I wouldn't mind one of those. I even uh, want a Kang action figure just because he looks so nice. And I don't even typically buy the Marvel figures just because I know if I buy one, I'll want to buy more. And I, you know, there's only so much I can do. Yeah, yeah, uh, so, all right, so we got all those characters. Does it make sense, Ryan, to add Kang to our cemetery? Kang the Conqueror, at least. Is he dead? Yeah, yeah, I think that's... Well, I mean, no. Uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him in there yet. Wouldn't put him in there? All right, we'll leave... Not until after Loki Season 2. That's fair. That's fair. We'll leave that where it is. So now all that's left to do is for us to give it our rating. From zero Infinity Stones to six Infinity Stones, or a big ol' Infinity Gauntlet, or two Infinity Gauntlets. What are you rating this thing, Ryan? Uh, I will say that I, I recently saw a list of, like, ranking the entire MCU, 
and the first movie it was Eternals, followed by Ant Man Quantum Mania, then uh or no, sorry, followed by Thor Love and Thunder, then Antum Ant Man Quantumania, then Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, which to me I really love Multiverse of Madness. I don't know why it's getting I don't know why it was rated so low. So wait, this was, list you saw, like th those were all at the bottom? Those were the bottom. They did the bottom first, yeah. This person liked all those movies less than Iron Man 3, huh? Yeah, yeah, right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> which blows my mind. Okay. Uh, which is funny because if you look at the audience scores for a lot of them, they're, they're, there's like a stark difference. Like it's it's, yeah. it's pretty insane. So do you want me to tell you what you rated the, the first two Ant-Man movies? Yes. Please tell me. You gave, you and I both gave both of them five stones. Huh. I'll give this one. I won't give this one a gauntlet only because is it a perfect movie? No. Is it a great movie? Yes. Uh, so I will give it six. Six stones. All right. Well, only well, because Kang just like pushes that meter so far. <laughs> because every scene with Kang is just cinematic glory. It's so good. Kang really does help put it there. I think I'm also giving it six stones. Hey, we're on the same page go. here. Uh, the only thing that keeps it from a gauntlet for me is, I think you brought this up earlier in the episode. There was a lot of room to give Janet an arc or Scott an arc or Cassie an arc. And I feel like none of them had one. Uh, yeah. there, there was no real character growth for the heroes. It was just kind of putting the established characters in a new predicament and saying, okay, get out of the predicament. And that was entertaining as hell to watch, but it was, uh, it was just not a story where the characters learned or changed in any way. I thought Cassie was going to, based on how the movie started with her ending up in jail a lot, but she really is just the same person at the end as she was in the beginning. And I mm -hmm. thought the final scene was a little bit lackluster. Bless you. I thought it was a little bit of a, just a lackluster final scene of them just eating dinner. And then it just kind of goes to black. Um, so they could have maybe done more with ending that on either a more hopeful note or a more scary note, or, you know, just kind of picking a lane. But other than that, I had so much fun with it. So I think six stones is the right place to rank. Quantumania. And in terms of our bet that we had on how long all these movies are going to be, um, let me know what you think we should do in this case, Ryan, because with all the other movies, when we guessed the runtimes, we, uh, you and I had different runtimes. But for yeah. Quantumania, we both guessed two hours, 10 minutes. Uh, we both had the exact same guess, and we were both wrong. It was, I think, two hours, three minutes or something. Two like hours that. and five minutes. Two, five. Thank you. So we were both off by five minutes. So I think we should just call this a draw for this. What do you think? I would, I would agree. I think, I think it's a both, it's a tie. Yeah. So that, that will stay as it is. Uh, I think you're still winning this. Hold on. You, I think you... I, I think I was winning because I had like three in a row where I like nailed, like almost nailed it. You, you won the Shang-Chi, you won the Eternals. You won Doctor Strange and you won Love and Thunder. And I won Spider-Man and Black Panther. Ooh, yeah. dang. Um, I don't think any of us ever got it exactly right. I'll have to double check that. But uh, next is Guardians Volume 3. So we'll see how, how close we get to that.
Mm -hmm. uh, my pick was longer, so I hope I'm right. Yeah, that one's going to be nuts. Uh, well, that is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, everybody. We did it. We got to Phase 5. We lived long enough to see Phase 5. Remember yeah. when we were still, like, when Kevin Feige said, hey, that Avengers movie, it's just Phase 1. Remember how <laughs> that <was> like... <laughs> Yeah. So here we are now, five phases in. Uh, the next thing that I think is supposed to be happening is Secret Invasion. Is that still 100% the next thing? Still 100% as far as we know. Okay. So next time we see each other, we will be in a very scrawly mood. Um, and whenever that happens, obviously you can come here to either the Digital Charcuterie YouTube page and watch us or to just your local podcast distributor and listen to us. Until that happens, Ryan, where can the good people find you? As always, you can find me on my YouTube work channel, which I do recommend you check out as we do produce a lot of really cool content, uh, which is youtube.com forward slash expert zone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can always find me on twitch.tv forward slash Xbox Canada, streaming the latest and greatest Xbox games there. Uh, and then if you want to just, you know, talk to me personally or just check out my personal content, uh, once in a blue moon, I'll post on Instagram. So that's probably where you'll find me the most. That's right. He cooks some delicious meals on Instagram. Uh, Ryan needs a cooking show. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter and the uh, Instagrams at Andrew Fantasia, uh, where I will be spending the majority of my time in the coming weeks pimping out my new fantasy novels, We Were Wizards, which is coming out this Friday, February 24th, is when it will probably be live on Amazon and you can purchase them there. So please look forward to that. And then, of course, you can find me on the Rebel Scum Podcast Network and on my own Andrew Fantasia YouTube channel as well. So that's it for Quantumania, everybody. And that's it for today's Infinity Rewatch. We're going to see you all next time when some scrolls show up. Until then, please have a marvelous day. <laughs>